0: Welcome to the Miniwood Podcast. This is E.G. Bailey with my lovely co-host, Shay Cage.
1: I'm so happy to be here. Uh, here at this podcast, we'll be showcasing and celebrating the Minnesota film community. Uh, we'll be speaking with guests about their work and their journey, sharing stories and advice, and hopefully a bit of inspiration.
0: We're very excited about our premiere episode, and we have two amazing guests today, prominent Minnesota filmmakers Robin hickman Winfield and Craig Rice.
1: Well, Robin and Craig have made Inspired Films and they just continue to support and mentor filmmakers at the highest levels. Please welcome them to the Mini Wood Podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having us. I appreciate well, this. I really and, do. So.
1: And people don't realize how busy the two of you are. So this is truly a rare treat. To have you in the studios, I know you're working on stuff as probably as we speak, the stuff that you pushed out the door, but also probably envisioning, you know, what's coming up, I think it's a a unique and rare superpower to be a filmmaker of any sort in this cold, the cold place during the winter time. So I have lots of curiosities as we engage this conversation, but I will not ask you, why do you stay?
2: <laughs> well, I, I can tell you why I stay, you know? I,
1: mean,
2: you know, I mean, and I hate cold weather. I mean, I hate cold weather, but the reason really, there's two reasons. One is I think that For me, there's something about the quality of life in Minnesota that fits my personality. Having lived in LA and New York and Atlanta, there's something about this place that I think is valuable, specifically for an artistic spirit. I'm not saying it's perfect, trust me, I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm saying that I think that artists need a certain level of non-resistance in their livelihood that uh, you get here. And that's purely the reason I stay here. I mean, I love the people, that I know that are here, but it's not. Um, there's other issues here, obviously. And I also think there's one thing about Minnesota that I was young enough to know when Tyron Guthrie came here and he went all all these cities, he went to several dozen cities in the world and he said something about Minnesota that I always remembered and that he said, this city is the creative center in the world. And as it, if it grows, it can become the Paris of the new world. Mm-hmm. And I always remember that. And I had never been to Paris. I just was like a kid. I just remembered that somebody who had been around the world saw something in this city that I didn't actually know was here at the time.
0: I find it actually uh, pretty accurate, um, and I, and I'm similar to you, Craig. I I always say I was born 300 miles from the equator, and you know God knows how I <laughs> ended up here and why I I stay here. But somehow I always find myself in cold weather places, having lived in, uh, outside of Chicago and then South Bend and then Fargo, uh, and here, I felt like I kept moving to colder and colder <laughs> places. Um, but it's, it's, for me, it's the, it's the community, the artistic community and, and, uh, especially the black community that really kind of embraced me, helped me and supported me and helped to raise me. And so for me, that's that's a huge part of why I stay. I think there's so much talent here and so much artistic activity that is happening. And we have some of the premier uh, organizations and some of the premier artists that have come out of here. And so for me, I've, I'm always uplifting and celebrating and, and trying to turn people on to, uh, to the artists here and the, the level of excellence that, that comes out of here. Our Achilles heel and handicap is You know, we just haven't figured out a way to to let the world know in a significant way about the the talent here um, and and the kind of activities happening here.
3: Which which, which brings me to, um, I will always lift up my mother in any conversation. One of her pearls of wisdom was be humble, but know your worth. And I don't believe we know our worth here as a fifth generation Minnesotan, being a descendant of Fergus Falls those 90 some Black families that migrated from Kentucky and landed in Aiken County. Among them, Jimmy Jam's mama, Andre Simone's daddy, and on and on and on. That's a whole story, being a descendant of Rondo. So when we think about the stories, I'm very proud of that, but the stories that are here, the legacies, that are, that are here, having again lived in other places and worked in other places. I say DC is my second home, but being drawn here and this this quality of life growing up in a black power family since the womb and then going out to the East Coast to Howard for, for school and people not believing the rich legacy that I came from here the, the 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 commitment to the power and the struggle and the the, the 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 warrior with this the new movie viola davis's new movie oh queen warrior queen i mean as a child as a little girl falling in love with queen and zinga how was i not to still at pushing 60 be believe i'm a warrior That could not be taken out of me. But no one would believe that a little girl from Minnesota would have that indoctrination, right? The uniqueness of here, the stories that still need to be told about this place, right? And what was poured into us. So for me, I'm at this place in my life, there's so much about me that people don't know. Yes, will I be a promise, keep my promise and a legacy keeper of the work um, and the life of my uncle Gordon Parks because I honestly came by the work that I do as a media maker, as a creative by him because he nurtured me since I was a little girl to walk in his footsteps, but my legacy goes beyond my uncle. And that's, I'm now at a place where I'm like, I don't want folks to know my story Beyond my uncle. It was to put my stuff aside and pour into young people at at TPT. But long before I did that, I was producing my own stuff at 12 years old. Hmm. Right. So that's the story that I think will help us. I want to help us begin to know our worth here.
2: Mm -hmm. I think that one thing that I think that Robin, Robin and I, because we we both were raised in the Rondo neighborhood, which Mm -hmm. I, I'm old enough to remember when it was streetcars and stuff. I mean, you it was Rondo was an incredible and it's a, it's a, it's a crime, Actually, it's probably that's a crime scene because you, you can't imagine an area of Minnesota that was so black. You know, I mean there was shop after shop and there was businesses and people walking on the streets. It was Sunday, it was it. it and, and again, so I was a child when it happened, but I remember it going, you, there was a pride in it because people had, there was insurance companies and doctor's offices and barbershops and shoe repair people. Everybody had a business and you just, there was a freedom to it that it doesn't exist today. I mean, we don't have the same kind of obviously uh, prejudice outside of that, but there was a radiation of, of progress. And I think that what, from a, from a Black media maker standpoint i think it's it formulated in me and robin a need to manufacture to make to run a business of this as opposed to just wanting to be an entertainer and have fun i mean there's no glamour in the glamour business you know we just talked about that each <laughs> i mean that whole get that out of your head this is blue collar work but i'm proud to be part of that type of work
1: mm-hmm. that's, that's fantastic right. and i i think for those that that are listening that don't know the history of Rondo, the Rondo community, I really encourage you to look it up. But but also know that when um, Craig speaks about that rich and and also Robin about that rich tradition that they both grew up in, that there was a systemic, yeah, oh, yeah. systematic <laughs> plan to disrupt that, <laughs> that vitality, that you know black joy, that the economic commerce. Um, that was vibrant uh, way back in the day, and uh, and put uh, a freeway, a highway uh, sp- that split the community in half. Well, I but I do think that that's a great segue to one of our first questions, which is, you know, as you guys speak about why you stay, you know what I mean, or and and also, yeah, the tradition that you grew up in. How did that influence your work, either in the early days or even now? Because you know, you're choosing to stay here and calling this your home and your community. You then created work that represents you and your community, dot, dot, dot. So it would be awesome to just talk about whatever those influences were or just the work that you created. Yeah. For those that are still new to your work.
0: And and created inspiration. You served as models for, for us, you know, younger artists. And to see you all, operating at such a high level and creating work at such a high level and creating great work. And it gave us something to aspire to and say, that's possible. We can, you know, I would like to to get to that level also.
3: Well, as I mentioned, again, um, my great uncle, uh, photographer, filmmaker, composer, author, artist, chef, <laughs> Gordon Parks, of course. And again, since I was very, very little, he came home often and it was, it was even if it was just the way he played with me, you know, it was an inspiration. But he took his nephew, my father, Bobby, under his wing, which inspired my father with others in the community to create the Inner City Youth League, which for young people, for us kids in the, in, in the village, Inner City not only exposed us to media arts, but visual arts, everything that we could imagine engaging in because we learned the power of the arts. But also we went up there to be under the, under the, the learnings of Mahmoud al Khati. We had dance, we had every, we had boxing, we had everything. And there were many centers throughout the 20, Twin Cities that exposed young people. We didn't have time to get involved in crazy because we were engulfed in our culture and our history. So I talked about Uncle Gordon, loved him but we had these centers in the community. Um, Dan Bergen had just uh, received a nomination for a regional Emmy for a piece that he did on film in the city. And I'm I'm featured in this piece. And I talk about, but I, yeah, I went to film in the city but not before I was at the inner city youth league, right? The inner city youth league is where uh, Kakaia up you need to have him on a future show. He went and was stopping with a protege of my father. Um, and others before he had the vision to then you know do what he does in 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 hollywood many i know craig is going to chime in on that but we had these institutions in our community um, where us as children and as young people could go and walk with visions of possibilities in the arts in media i was 12 years old when i made my first documentary black women in the metro area i was 16 years old when I worked for, I, I did, I uh, worked for Channel 5 on a show called Steamroller where I interviewed Evelyn Champagne King. And she was excited because I was, girl, I ain't never taught, I'm going to be an interview about a Black woman like, young Black woman like me. And then my next big one was George Clinton at the Parliament's Funkadelic Underwater boogie concert at the <laughs> Met Center. And I was <laughs> nervous. And I was like, she, he said, you walk with me. We're going to uh, What you nervous about? I heard you you have your own radio show. Yes, I hosted a radio show on KUXL. And I said, well, those are community people. I'm from the community as my mother brought fried chicken for everybody. When I saw Booty Collins 20 years later, he remembered that fried chicken. I did a lot. Because we had a community that said, you can do this. So I love my Uncle Gordon, but there was a whole lot of folks that poured into me. But he inspired what I did for a living, but how to do it. it we always knew that we had to nurture the next generation. So don't believe the hype came from also in the community when the mandate came. And I'll hush from the Kerner Commission after the un- racial unrest and social unrest of the 60s. That public television moved from being educational television, but become public television and a vehicle for communities of color to create their programming. Here, it was a show called Black Voices. And our community created that show. And I was a young woman who went up under the folks at Black Voices and and determined, one day, I'm going to work for public broadcasting, not the networks not the movie studios, I want to work for public television. I had a vision of possibilities. And then that's what I did. That's how it started for me. I have a long history. So that's how, don't believe the hype, walking with Susan Robson and we started that show. So I put my own desires aside, but now I'm picking my stuff back up. (laughs) I want to do my
2: thing now. For me, Gordon, again, everybody knows the story of my mother use choice of weapons to straighten me out really and, and, and it did um, and then 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 robin's father was incredibly influenced so as a young person it was important for me to get knowledge and as i got farther in my career i mean to be perfectly honest you know i i did move you know i was gone um, and i came back in the state here, because it was because of Prince. I mean, Prince had a thing about Minnesota, specifically the Twin Cities. About if you worked for him, you had to be here. He believed that it was important, and so him there made me reflect on what I had learned as a young person from what Robin was doing, what we did in the uh, African American Cultural Center in Minneapolis, where you know, uh, you know, and Cacaya known, and you know, you, there was all this, these organizations in town and filmmakers and artists just in just in general I mean you know Takumi I've known him forever and there is a connection and I think this is one thing and that this town has and I'm not saying it's not in New York and not in LA because I have good friends there too but I think because the place is relatively small you end up learning from each other and you can really spend time and grow together and I think that's what's really for me has been really really helpful and why I keep staying here. I wanted to be one of those people that was there for me when I was young, to be able to give information and to talk to people like yourselves. You know, I mean, again, Jay, I've known you guys from day one. It's the, just trying to get you guys to get, the, and, and I know some of the lessons that I told you were painful at the time I told you, but it's part of the process of you growing and learning, you know, and I, that's, for me, is what it is about, because I, I don't, I never felt that way when I went to LA, because so I went to LA and when I was a teenager first time and everybody has their thing in LA, which is a little different than here. I never felt I, this is somebody who talked to me about this. It was like LA's like a campfire, you know, and everybody gets around the campfire as long as they got something going on. But everybody's got their campfire. So you're not part of a collective campfire. You know, we're here, we're basically part of a collective campfire. We're all around it, you know. And I hopefully get to the point in time where the campfire gets bigger or the circle around the campfire gets bigger. That's kind of what I'm always working.
3: You know, and that was here, too. And I, and that was the thing, too. If your thing was media, but that camp, I love that. We live the answers we seek today. So we got to just send hope and revisit what we did. We know what we need to do. We had that. I mean, I, one of the things I remember, I was listening to Terry, Terry and Jimmy do a YouTube or Facebook talk, and they were reminiscing about back in the day. We inspired one another. So Fergus Falls Family Reunion picnic every year. Well, Jimmy was doing the DJing and Andre was doing his thing. And then, but if we were doing our little thing, Stokely was the leader of our little African drum troupe at Inner City Youth League. And then we would play for, open for the sounds of blackness. And then one, one year we had a big concert at Minneapolis Central and Prince's band was opening for that. And then I don't, and it was all of that. But I remember uh, Stokely playing the bongos and the Zaf, and then Prince was, go on, little brother, go on, little brother. We all, that campfire thing was real. It was real. But then years later, just encouraging one another. Then, But for me to have all of that confidence that was fueled by my homies. So then when I went to Howard to be up under dear brother Kareema, this all prepared me to go to Howard and then be up under that master that poured into me. Because folks knew about what we had going on here in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. He knew she coming from somewhere. Right, and so we just again have to know our worth here, and then seeing you two do what you do, I want to tell you something. You all started embracing me. I felt honored. I felt so honored walking with Craig in partnership. So we have to just get back to that and be unbreakable, because for such a time as this, which is one of my favorite biblical scriptures, Esther. 414. Esther was fierce. And I'm claiming to be an Esther now for such a, <laughs> we know what time we're in. When I, when I was invited to, to be a part of your amazing occasion, I that was an evening. I got some of my stuff back, y'all. Y'all gave me some of my stuff back and it's time to be fierce again and do this thing.
1: I, amen. And hallelujah to that, especially when we look at these young people. I mean, I don't, I just, I keep wondering, cause you, because I feel like both of you have touched so much. I guess I keep wondering why film. Like if that was just the one question, why film? Because there were' so one of when I travel, when e g and I travel and we get interviewed, we talk we we spend a lot of time talking about the multidisciplinary aspect of the Twin Cities. and I can only imagine that my children are being so sculpted from that, right? Like from when they was in the womb and there was, you know, there's we was in the band and then there was, you know, the drummers and the percussion and then they, you know, and then the skateboarders and then, you know, like, I mean, the whole roller skating community is rising up right now. I mean, there's so many, there's been so many influences, the jazz community and our mentors that were heavy jazz musicians and the ways that they mentored us was in that jazzical kind of way, right? Where it's time for your solo, now you fall back. <laughs> Let somebody else move forward. Um, so i just curious, why film?
3: Um. Yes, young people have the tools and equipment I never had, okay? But back in the day in the city where I had to have a crew, I couldn't just take I, yeah, I couldn't just take my phone and go out and do it myself. I, there was something powerful in the process of being there, having to work with others to make it happen. At a time when I young people, I teach, and when they were isolated during COVID, it, it, they lost some, some things. Mm. So the power of the process of having a crew. When I, when I worshiped on Facebook and YouTube, it wasn't the same as when I went back and I was in fellowship with others. That's the power, to me, of the film process. Something we have to get our babies back into, understanding they need each other to accomplish this powerful thing. That, for me, I know Uncle Gordon used to talk about photography and shooting his camera proved to be more powerful than shooting a gun. It was something he talked about all the time. But I just simply think it's about accomplishing something powerful with others
2: for, for me personally I mean, I was lucky enough to be raised in a family or with parents who really tapped into sort of being black first of all black writers black arts I mean and actually take that back and all arts I mean they took us to symphony concerts, so you know I know Beethoven Bach as much as I know you know Miles Davis and Albert you know, Ellington and all that too but in the, in the painting so for me I think we're the power of film was, and I remember clearly at five years old. I my parents took us to the movies. They took us to adult movies, and we really And, and I, I remember turning. I said, "Mom, who does this?" He said, "That's a film director." I said, "That's what I want to do." There's something about all the art forms that are in film that I that they introduced me to that I actually liked. My real pr- approach for me, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. Robin just heard this. I didn't get into filmmaking until I saw. Shaft, actually. I mean, I really didn't think Viper would ever be allowed to make a movie I ain't gonna I didn't think that was ever gonna happen for us so I had gone into music as a young person and was in that and that's how I know Gary Hines and all that musical stuff mm-hmm. but it was once I saw Shaft and I said if he can do that then that's when I that was the real key for me it's like I think I should pursue that and I was in my early 20s at that time but it was it was time to do something that I thought communicated entertainment education enlightenment and thus could capture all our art forms our dance our music our poetry into it i have a cousin kamal who's a poet in la and he had introduced i stayed out there when i first was young he introduced me to i mean black poetry i mean again we had all known poetry but really black poetry you know uh uh, you know by black poets i had never really heard that i'd heard you know the regular you know we all did in school but when you really realize that film is just a black Form of poetry. It just is if you really get into it and you, there's a sense to it. And I remember my mother when she'd watch a film, and even if there's a film with Black people in it, she said, Somebody white did that. I said, You can tell, you can feel it. It doesn't have the feeling that somebody Black is understanding. And it's in the subtext, in the con, it's in the fiber, and that's our poetry. And that's what I think that film is for us as a people. We have, we've tried to get, and we keep trying to become much more vibrant in it, much more active in the business. We'll see if we actually can get past this. And I don't want to call it a trend right now where black films and TV shows are really popular, but this is the third time. This is not the first time they've seen us. They discovered us recently and they love to discover us, you know, (laughs) you know.
3: That's right. But one more quick thing about it, too, is that I tend to get, I used to get emotional about it. And I just recently said, you know, for me, um, when I tell my students forever, I've said, when you go to a movie, stay and watch the credits, stay and watch the credits. Every name in those credits represents a job you could have in this industry. For me, it's not about the, mo. it's not about emotions. It's about the economics. Those are jobs. Those represent jobs that you can have, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that is very, very, very important if it's film, if it's television. And we have to, um, you know, again, Craig and I, you know, both have to do the, the, the story of Laurel. Evelyn when we bring it up, there's a deeper story. There is a deeper story about how that series was done and what it did for a community as a vision of possibilities what it did for this community, the economic impact it had on this community. When you have folks working on something that says, we will use this black community. We will use this black beauty supply store. We will do, you know, we are in positions. And so I think that that's, that's that side of it. But that was one, again, another thing that I learned from my uncle. And when people say, oh, that's just her, no, read his autobiographies, when he says. Me putting, me having these Black folks behind the camera resulted in this, this, this. That's not me being radical, that's what the man said. My, only, my, my missions is to make sure folks know the radical side of Gordon Parks.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> you
3: know, that was radical.
0: The beauty of, of Minnesota too, you know, I think it's that combination where there is the multidisciplinary aspect of Minnesota. You know, because it is a, a smaller community, there isn't as much of a pressure to sort of specialize and having to only do sort of one track. And for me, that's, that's how I always looked at it. I always said film was my final destination because It was where i could take everything i've learned and put it all into one thing so i actively sought out learning theater learning radio uh learning writing learning acting you know just whatever i could because i i knew that i could use all of those to contribute to to my filmmaking and i think part of the the beauty of the community here is that each of the we have high levels of work happening in each of those each of those disciplines and bringing it together in in film.
1: Thank you for listening to the Miniwood Podcast. There's a lot going on in Twin Cities, um, so if you're hiding under a rock, we encourage you to crawl out from under that rock. Um, the Arab Film Fest just uh, finished here, and what else is happening?
0: And we also have the. Twin Cities Film Festival taking place this month in Minnesota. Our film that we produced, Jasmine is a Star, is going to be part of the festival.
1: Whoop, whoop! And I heard a rumor that the director, Joe Rochelle, will also be in town. And some folks know that Joe grew up here in the Twin Cities but moved to LA. So that'll be a nice treat to have a comeback. Um, that screening of Jasmine as a Star is actually going to be on the 22nd, October 22nd, um, at 1230 at the Showplace Icon Theater, which is a very nice theater, by the way. I think you can kick up your feet in that theater.
0: That's right. And if you want to find out about the other films that will be playing at the festival, you can go to their website, TwinCitiesFilmFest.org, for more information. And the festival runs from October 20th to the 29th.
1: It's a nice long stretch.
0: It's a good stretch. Nine days, ten days.
1: And it's kind of awesome because you can see films during the day and at night. So you can make sort of a night of it, but also if you want to just like run over and Check out some films on a Saturday, you know, that start at 10, a, 10 a.m. It's really nice. I love it when I'm in a city and I can do that.
0: That's right. Check out what you can, and we won't be mad at you if you're not able to make the jazz and this a star screening.
1: But we will
0: be excited if we see you there. That's right. <laughs> Back to
1: our guests, Robin Hickman-Winfield and Craig Rice, sharing their journey in Minnesota filmmaking.
0: I'm curious about, you know, Robin, you talked a little bit about your trajectory, you know, starting out really young and Craig, you, you, you talked about your involvement in music and in terms of your, did you start making films here in Minnesota or did you start making films Outside of Minnesota, what was your transition going from music into into film? Did you work on some films here before you actively? No, the, uh, the first a- thing.
2: Oh, I saw. I, was, I saw. A chef. I bought a Super 8 camera. I, you know, got a book, read about how you did it. But I. But before that, I had her dad had st- started this whole sort of introductory to film. So I had an idea about it, but I hadn't actually sort of found myself saying, I want to and again, my the first film that I shot was just some a guy going to the grocery store on his bike. That was literally and reached back home. That was the beginning, middle, and end. it was on that level. But I think that it was working around with somebody Bobby had, and I, I call him that without due respect because I don't think I ever called him Bobby in real life, but he Understood he had worked on a film, he had worked on Learning Tree. So he had some, so there's a certain amount of respect for somebody who actually had done what I didn't think you could actually ever do, you know, and he had done that. And he's and still here in Minnesota. So as I was playing, I got to the point in time, you know, because I was, you know, there was a lot more music here, live music than there is now today. And I love music. It was, I, I realized that now, you know, I'm perfectly honest, and I was good at playing but I never loved it as much. It didn't occupy enough of my mind, you know, being around say two and in, in those t- type of artists like that, I knew there was something more that I wanted to do than just play music. Like that's probably the bottom line. And so filmmaking, to your point, as I studied theater, I started working, I worked with, you know, Lou Bellamy. I started doing more writing. I started, you know, just to, to expand again, if it's the seventh art, then you need to understand all these other art forms in order to really be a really strong filmmaker. And I and I didn't at that time. I didn't when I first started. So I started to grow and then I went to college Then I started, then I moved and that's how that happened
3: The classic film too, that was done in the community and Craig knows this, was a, a Fulham, Full-length filmed Hampton Alexander, which was, you know, I mean, I, I again, imagine you're 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 a kid in the community, and you you know you you see these black folks making this action film, you know, in the community. I mean, because this this young brother that was a young director had a vision, hooked up with my dad in their city, and they produced it. And it's like those things happen. So my whole issue is, and so if we we lived the answers. That we seek today. We know what we need to do. We know what we've done. You're doing it. Y'all are doing it. And I just, my thing was just always bringing it to the babies. And um, again, for me to be back to bring, don't believe the hype back is just, that's me. I always say every time I go back, going into TPT, I'm like, yeah, this is only you guys for me to return after 20 something years. But I'm really excited about that. What we were able to do back in the day for the young for the young people of hype, the hype OGs who do, not all of them went into television or not all of them went into media making, but they're doing amazing, powerful things. And to be able to do that again is is just un- unapologetically.
2: I think that one of the Both- things that Don't blue the Hype did, and this is somewhat of what you guys are trying to do, but what, what Robin was able to do with Don't the Hype is he created a group of people who did go into the TV. They created a discipline um, of people. Um, The the people who went into the business are, are some of the most disciplined people of color, not just here in the Twin Cities, but wherever they went. And I think that's really important. And this is when I said there's no glamour in the glamour business. I think what's happened with a lot of young people, because I've, I've taught at you know several places in town from PYC to, is that I find younger people today that are so inundated with pop culture that yes. they want to just make something without understanding what they want to make or why they should make it or how it is. They just they. It's like, you know, again, you ask black kids today, most of them, you ask them what they want to be. And if it's not a rapper and a basketball player, there may be something else in there. But that's the thing that you have to fight. They have to, not everybody can be a director. Not everybody can be a producer. And I think there should be more producers. But, you know, people need to go to what Robin said there. We need production designers. We need sound people. We need, you know, uh, uh, you know people, we need those young people to start seeing themselves above and beyond I mean I did a thing several years ago before Martin Luther King had his official birthday I decided to and I got a job with Bush communication I got a chance to shoot something and I had to do it on Martin Luther King's birthday I actually could make I made a whole project with everybody all the whole crew was black the only people who were white were in front of the camera. That to me, it was Nate Payton was on it, you know, Joe Broussard, it was John Sim. it was Mwase, it was, you can't do that today. To have a whole crew, grips, gaffers, camera assistant, camera people, editors.
0: We probably have you know, some of the most diverse crews, you know, on our mm-hmm. set and it's challenging. It's challenging because, you know, that's our, our goal and mission, but it's, it's very challenging to, to have an all-Black crew these days I had a, a conversation with Robert Byrd and he made a comment that I that I grapple with all the time. He said, do you want to get your film done or do you want to work with a specific person or crew? And for me, my, my goal is always to have a uh, fully Black crew, uh, but you have to negotiate that here. Because as you said, Craig, there there isn't the training and the discipline isn't there as much for, for the Artists that are coming up, and so those are kind of the, the things that we're trying to address in in the different projects that we do, and in providing opportunities, and you know, having folks on our set. Um, you know, we often have folks that it's the first time on a film set. Uh, they're coming from other disciplines, and our hope is that they fall in love with it and want to continue it. But it, it's challenging, and I, and I think is is getting more challenging as we go. Um,
1: but I but I will say that it's rewarding. I think as we talk about the challenges, it is, and that's why we do the work. We remember that these, the challenges we're facing are not any different than, you know, the ones that, you know, you, you, I mean, it's true when there was, when there was community was tighter together, even just physically, you know, just geographically there, there was something that is definitely missing now. And not just in Minnesota, but across the nation because isolation breeds a different kind of individual in this socialized world. And technology does too. Craig, you you know, like as much as we try to pour Blackness into our own children, you know, this technology and their, their desire to just be these like, you know, and it's like, no, we got to keep teaching you your history. I mean, and they have a hunger. They love it. We have this thing called Black, black Made That. And they'll come home and they're like, you know, they just point to things and they're like, black made that they don't even know. And I'm like, look at these little revolutionary kids. Love but it. the rewards of having, of working with our people, you know, sure. it's enough to make us tr- keep trying, keep training, keep, and we try, you know, we come from that educational moment kind of, you know, family where it's like, okay, y'all let's circle up, which is very unorthodox on a crew. <laughs> They're like, why are they circling up? It's time to go home. And it's like, nah, let's just talk about, there were some breakdowns today. How are we going to do this different? And so we really do treat it like a family, but that's also one of the reasons why people keep coming back to us. So I just want to lift that up, EG, And and as we talk, you know, through the challenges. No, and I, and
2: I think it's, you know, I shot, I shot it was about four years before the pandemic. So it'd be almost four years ago now, three years ago, that I shot in Atlanta. And I would say, yeah, yes, there are more Black people doing production work. But to your point, EG, some of them are not that good. And you have to ultimately, and I made the mistake of going down there wanting to get as many Black people as I possibly could. And I realized that that's an error. Because ultimately you get judged by the in product, not by the people behind the camera. So the trick is to try to find the best people you can using the, I think it's sort of a priority group a selection based on the color, but the priority really needs to be based on their quality of their work. I mean, I had cats that literally, literally did not had a camera, had knew all the gear, but didn't know what they were doing with it. You know, and Atlanta has allowed that to happen because there's so much production down there, you know, right now. But we need to get we need the masters. Again, when I talked about doing that thing with Imwasé and, and Nate, they were really good. Sherbusar is really they were really good. They weren't like I just picked up that could, you know, we could do that. We have to get back to these people who are really good. And, the makeup thing was great here because Prince had a bunch of work and they they got better and better and better. Same thing with wardrobe. We need to get back to a process where we make enough projects and we bring people along and they get better and better and better and i think with robin's doing this with don't be the hype i'm really excited that it's getting back on the air because those young people that are involved in that will get better and better and better that would come out like daniel bergen at the end of this and they'll come out like you know essence and things like that so
3: well i think too that is why i'm i'm, I'm into protecting my purpose you know when i know when i am standing before my scholars at gordon parks high school in that three week cycle. And they're, they're watching a clip of Don't Believe the High Crew members on a panel with Uncle Warden at Penumbra Theater. And he bows to those students and the students in the audiences and says, I expect much more of you because you're much brighter than me. And he salutes them, right? That's about excellence, right? And then when my scholars watch Half Past Autumn, that was produced by, when not we have one white cat on that crew? Yeah. right so we know that was about excellence but that the staying power and impact of that documentary on young people today if i'm not lying i am not lying the emotions that stir up in 2022 when young people see that and i said watch those credits we can do this but i am protecting my purpose now because we have to do it so when i recruit those scholars for Don't Believe the Hype. ISIS, for instance, who was first day of class, not saying nothing and acting all like she didn't want to be. But now she just finished a summer working on side girls at TPT and black side girls. Don't Believe the Hype because She was, I'm not compromising pouring excellence into them. That is my purpose, to make sure that we can unapologetically say it is a Black thing. Mama was uncompromised and uncompromising. We cannot, the special time we're in, you cannot have a yard sign talking about Black Lives Matter. You cannot speak it. Folks that don't look like us, if you do not support us defining what that means. And if I say I'm going to take my rightful place as a maker, as a creative in in making and telling my story that no i feel a certain kind of way that in 2000 a black team told the story of my uncle's life but in 2021 a man that didn't look like him directed the story about him we should be able to have something to say about that we should be able people in public television are now speaking out about why is Ken Burns getting all the work, even when it's stories about the story of Muhammad Ali. We should be able to speak about that if
1: everybody now is talking about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Well, I I applaud you for that, for bringing that up, um, Robin. And I feel like that, I mean, I know we're coming to the close, but I feel like that does lead to one of the key questions, you know, as we talk about sort of the pros and the cons of, making work in Minnesota, um, or being inspired by living here or raised here. And even if you go somewhere else, but I do, I do wonder, um, about the culture that is, I'm going to say America, because again, as we talk about, you know, this series is mini wood, right. So it's kind yeah. of, you know, it's looking at, you know, here and there, and then, but also it's, it's a wide open sort of canvas right now because I think we do. You know, people joke, but it's true. There's a culture of Minnesota nice here that can breed sort of a tendency to not actually step into brave space to speak out about things to own power. You know what I mean? To go to the front of the line if you know that you know what direction we should be going. And then I think on a nation, we're seeing that as well. We, you know, I sh- we show up. All of us, I think, we show up at conferences. We show, you know, we look. Again, we look on national TV and we see that who's who's speaking up and out for us. And I just, but again, I guess maybe just to bring it back home, I'm wondering, is that something that you guys have often felt like you have had to fight again? You know, as we think about here, but also nationally, it's, I feel, I'm going to keep it real. I, you know, I feel like I was born to be a fighter, but it's, it's very exhaustive. It's (laughs) exhausting. It, these these last two years, I'm just like. I don't know. I don't know if I have it in my spirit to fight the way I I know I was raised to fight. And so I wonder about what it is. I don't necessarily think it's Black people taking a backseat. I think there's a lot of things at play here.
3: I I coined this a number of years ago. There are consequences for courage. Mm. There are. And I think what you're you're doing, even with this, for us to have the space to courageously lift up the truth. You know, I, I talk all the time. I lift up Maya Angelou's poem, A Pledge to Rescue Our Youth. It's powerful. It talks about how do we ensure their destiny. And people, I've concluded, and people, Paul, because it's Maya. But then I say, but who will rescue the rescuers? And we have to rescue each other, y'all. Those of us who dare to be courageous, that dare to be radical, we got to rescue each other. You know, I I don't have anything to lose, but I am with these babies every day, you know? And I know, I tell them, you know what, y'all, thanks for rescuing me. When don't even know they're doing it. And then when you got them, you all know this. You all know this. When you got them, they are wide open. And we can do this so we need to coordinate more. And it's that African proverb that talks about that bundle. That bundle's hard to break. James Baldwin said it's time for lovers of humanity to find one another. I got that from Mahmoud about 30 years ago. And we ain't nobody better lovers of humanity than us. And I ain't mad at nobody, but I, that's my truth. We find each other and we become that bundle that's so hard to break and we can do this. It is our destiny. I'm just I'm just determined that that is it. We can do this. We got everything that we need. And now we can say, oh, but wait, especially here in Minnesota, you're talking all this. You got them yard size and everything. You cannot say my Black life matters only until I say I'm going to take my rightful place in my stuff. You can't shut me down when I say... I'm going to take my rightful place in my stuff. You're contradicting yourselves.
2: I think that, Shay, I hear you. I hear you. And and my father, my parents, wanted to be artists they could not raise us as children as black artists that wasn't going to happen in that world they grew up in my father told me that this is this is a fight that you're going to have to fight and you may not see the end of this fight okay but your children might so you're fighting for the next level so you just get it up i mean and robin can feel this way because i feel this way about somebody like daniel bergen i mean where he is at you know because i remember when he first started where he is at right now is could is a direct descendant of the fight that we've been fighting okay and then he will fight and then the next level generation will fight and you guys will fight and you'll continue to fight it will never be where you're going to feel like the fight is over but let that vision go you're just going to define and summon up this warrior (laughs) this woman king stuff inside you and just keep fighting Uh, um, even when you think you're too tired and i know robin feels this way because we've talked about it before we have to keep fighting, but it may—it's not necessarily for us. It's for to get to the next level. It's to get the next generation gets to the next level. The next generation gets to the next level, and then eventually they may one day feel that way, where they they don't understand what we're talking about. What's the fight? Okay, we've been doing this for you know generations. That is what this is about. When somebody told me once that our time—we're we're, we're the change agents. You know, we're the change agents, and so we are just going to have to continue to push. To make it change that's all and it's i because there's no way that it's ever going to be i don't this is years in the making i mean it's just years in the making
1: i'll let you provoke you pose the last question eg
0: it's been an incredible conversation and and i wish it could be longer and we'll have to have you guys back again because there's so much you know that's that's the the incredible thing there's such a uh Fount of knowledge within both of you that that we need knowledge and experience and and vision and foresight that I know personally that I need just to to continue to do this work and, and navigate it because it, it, film is one of the most complicated fields you know you, you think theater is complicated but film there's so many layers and it's so complicated and then the financial aspect of it so I, I look forward to, to having you guys back but one of the things. You know, and, and I guess sort of part of the foundation of naming the show Miniwood is the fact that, you know, Minnesota filmmakers, and, and this isn't a recent occurrence, this has been happening for a while. All that you've talked about, Minnesota filmmakers have gone on to all levels of the industry worldwide, and prominent artists have done uh, great work. And that's part of what we want to highlight that, um, when people usually talk about the minnesota film community is it's smaller it's you know people think it's smaller than it than it actually is and so I'm, i'm curious about that and part of the work that we've been doing is looking at how to build bridges with other communities for example you know we've been traveling more to la and doing some some work there we've also been trying to build community there too and connect minnesota artists that are in la with each other and we're when we go to New York, we we do the same. And we're looking at, you know, also Atlanta and Chicago. And But I'm curious about sort of how you all see the Minnesota film community and how it relates to the wider industry and talking about some of your experiences within the larger in- industry um, and some of the folks that you know are doing work, not only here in Minnesota, but across the globe. There's so many Minnesota filmmakers that have moved to New York recently to, to Atlanta. It's a struggle because it's partly a brain drain that happens, but at the same time, it's wonderful to see us continue to evolve and in, in get embedded in, in different parts of the, of the industry.
2: I think it's, I mean, I think it's, I think people should go, should see the world. Well, that's one thing, this one, you know, you know, Gordon said this to me and probably Robin heard it too, is that, you know, we black people have to be international so it's important to see the world, not just in a specific region or state or even country. I think that the, 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 the drain is there. I don't mind people going away. I just wish more people would come back and do things here. I left, I'm going to lie, I left and probably if it wasn't for Prince. I might not have ever come back. But I encourage people to come back after I know, I, I think I know why Prince wanted people to be here, because he knew it was here and so i encourage people to come back i wish more people would come back it's probably the best way to answer that and so i think what you're doing is great
3: i would i would i would say ditto and especially as the world is watching minnesota for a narrative that is it is a narrative and it's a narrative in which we say we want these brothers and sisters to rest in peace but it is not the only narrative there are so many powerful narratives here so right now yeah i was taught i was raised to be global in perspective i was a child marching for the liberation of south africa as a child cotton golf oil all that i was nurtured to be global in perspective but right now the world is watching minnesota so while we have this let's pay attention let's be humble but know our work here
2: and, and it's it can be done in a subtle way i mean all most of the even though i was uh, doing commercials in an agent uh, company out of chicago i did most of my commercials here I mean, Mm -hmm. you'd have to convince them. And and Robin knows this when we did Half Past Autumn. It's like HBO did not want the film that I wanted to make with the cast and crew that I wanted to have. But you have to be able to be brave enough to say, this is what I want to do. You know, this is what we, this is how I see it. You know, we'll give up a little bit, but I want this. And the same thing when agencies would say, why are we going to go to Minnesota to do this commercial? Because I think it's important. And if you get three people on it or two people on it, they get a chance to work on a national spot. That's what you do. It's again, it's, these are all battles. These are all battles that you have to keep fighting and you, you win some and you lose some, but you keep fighting that fight. And again, I, I think that's all we can do at this point in time. I wish there was a. I trust me, if I could wave my hand and make this thing ideal, I would do that, but that's not going to happen. You know, this is not Disney, this is reality, you know, so.
0: Yeah, and, and it was the same when we did Everyday St. Nick, you know, we, we mm-hmm. were really committed to filming here. The other filmmakers, you know, all filmed in LA, and I, I think that's where they were uh, based. But it was very important for us to do it here for the exact reason that, that you said, Craig, just to also show that it can be done here, that we have the, the talent and the the facility and the resources to to be able to to do it here. Where, where do you see, say, like in the next three years, five years, 10 years, where do you see the community growing to? You know, like you said, Craig, this is the third time that you know, people have woken up to, to the talent of, of black filmmaking and, and uh, black stories. And, and I feel like we're going through a, a renaissance here in, in Minnesota too, in terms of black filmmaking, filmmaking uh, for people of color. Where do y'all see it heading? And, and what do you see in the next couple of years uh, for Minnesota filmmaking? That's a tough question.
2: Um, I, I think to Rob, what Robin said is the whole world is watching Minnesota beyond it being Prince's home or Mary Tyler Moore, is that people that really understand this as, as a cultural center right now. They see it as a social center right now. We need to leverage that. The it trick is. is, it's really is gonna be, in the next three years, black people are going to have to do the work that we need. You know, we have writers here, but we need, you know, the writers here have to be better. The filmmakers have to be better. Uh, somebody told me this, uh, Ted Ristel, who is not black, he's a white, has a company called Ristel Advertising. he told me that he thought that what we need to do is to look at ourselves like we're Israel, is that we need to, we have the same land mass, we have the same GPA, we have the same amount of people here. We need to st- stop looking for some outside sources to, to, to do this, but we need to look internally and really make the films that we really think need to be made. Hollywood only cares about money, distributors only care about money, so we need to make for successful projects that people want to show and want to make, and I think we have done it, a few people have done it, I should say, over the years, but we need to continue to do this. I like the, the film that Robin was talking about, the Hamilton Alexander, I was a teenager when that was being done. It's still around today. It didn't get the kind of exhibition that it should have got at the time, but this was 1969, 1970. You know, they, no, it was not, This was before Black like, before making films, you know? So nowadays, if we look at trying to make a film that has that kind of sensibility, I think we can get the kind of exposure that is necessary for us to build the kind of community. And then we build another one, and then we build another one.
3: I look at the success of The um, Shy. That is my show. One of the most beautiful cast members of the Shy series is Chicago. The Shy doesn't would not work anywhere else. Okay. That beautiful intergenerational series. So it's like for me, and one of the things I'm working on, are the stories, the people, and the stories. It be they a documentary or narratives, whatever. That's the stuff I'm working on right now here. You know, those are the conversations that I'm having and connecting them to other things that I'm doing and just just full that's what I'm doing. It's just like just do it. And while preparing young people to take their rightful place from a place of excellence to so the ready. My thing has always been when young people, when projects do come here, they know to come to the soul touch to get them babies because they've been. Prepared mm-hmm. to do the job.
0: Yeah, and that's you know that's part of what we're trying to do with Black Star. You know, very a similar vein with with the the shy, in terms of showcasing showcasing our community and and the various levels of it. Um, you know, from from the youth all the way to to the elders, and really telling a, a fully embodied story. And I think
2: that's that's what you need to do, and that's a story that you guys specifically need to radiate because I haven't you know, read. A lot of, I, I read a lot of people's stories or a lot of scripts. People talk to me a lot about making the movies. Again, when I, tell you, when I say pop, you know, pop has dominated filmmaking and TV series work. And some of these younger people, they want to be part of that so they don't see us as Minnesota as being valuable. That's what I'm saying. If we were in Israel, what would we be doing? We we make making Israeli film, that's what we would do. That's but, right. You know, and so we have to stop thinking that, oh, we're going to make this incredible horror film that takes place in LA or it's a science fiction movie or whatever. Let's do it here to build up Minnesota so that we can actually be respected and be seen and actually make an industry out of this.
3: To be a part of your, to, to be a part of your event. I mean, again, that was, I got some of my stuff back and to see, to see the films and then the following week to go to the rehearsal for the Gordon Parks play and see three of the actors Mm -hmm. of your film as actors in my play, I I was just through. That's that kind of amazing divine synergy that reinforced that we can do this and we're gonna do this.
1: Yeah, and that's that bundle that you talk about. (laughs) Unbreakable. But I just, I want, I'm so, we're so thankful for both of you. for the wisdom, for the work, for the endurance, for, you know, um, yeah, for being able to get up every morning and be like, you know, you guys, it just, it's clear that you see the potential in every day. And I think that's, that's also a perspective that we have to, that, that I think we own here on this side of the world is, and maybe it isn't, maybe it is because of the cold, maybe it isn't, but there's something about seizing the opportunity in the day. And I do believe that the fight and the work that we do right now it's not necessary we're not going to see necessary you know all the results right now it's it's we're doing one part of it and we have to trust and believe in that so ashay to to all of all that you have done yes
2: thank and then, you thank you, for- <laughs> you. I appreciate that
1: thank
3: yeah. you for all that you're doing yeah now, thank you
0: yeah and I, I have to—I have a confession, a couple confessions to make. I was initially afraid to to approach you, Robin. I I didn't I, I felt what? I needed to prepare to to get up to, to the to the level to be able to engage with you. It took some time, you know. So I, I, was, I was nervous. To, talk
3: offline on that.
0: <laughs> I was <don't, I> <laughs> you with some things because I was just like Miss Robin, you know, she's gonna be like what? <laughs> <Can't> be <better." laughs> um, oh. And I and I, Craig, I have to confess, I. I I videotaped on a VHS um, "Half Past Autumn" and I would just watch it constantly. <laughs> you know, Gordon. My my idols in college were Paul Robeson and Gordon Parks. They were Renaissance artists, and and I just I was so amazed at just the I mean people know you know, yeah, um, yeah. and and that's what I aspire to and and you know to to be able to watch "Half Past Autumn" and just be inspired constantly when I watched it. Um, and so it, that was back in the day, you know, cable and, and hook up a VHS. I would just tape yeah. I put it on eight hours and just tape whatever, <laughs> whatever <laughs> on the tape and then I would watch it watch them constantly. But yes, so yeah. both of you for, um, for the inspiration and I'm so blessed and, and we're so blessed to have you in our lives and, and, again, and
2: I, I appreciate it. And let me just one other plug than Robin knows that I try to plug this shit all the time. You should really, if you ever get a chance to see Laurel Avenue, you should really see it. That that to. is it. That is that was kind of what Robin was. I mean, that show was not supposed to be done here. It was me initially getting them guys to come here, and selling them on Minnesota because they just didn't see this place as being having black people first of all at all, and they didn't understand who we were. And that show, unfortunately, the HBO didn't totally agree to it. They thought it was whatever, but it is what we could do here, because it was made by people here. I mean, that's the interesting thing about, of all the shows that I've done, other than my specific thing, is we helped to create Laurel Avenue. They were open to come here, they stayed here, they met with people, they met with people in St. Paul, they met with people in Minneapolis, I mean, people, real people, to, to create a series you know, that that show became.
3: That's it. I um, Mary Alice, the the mother, our, our mother of Laura Ivan who recently passed away. I had a cameo and <laughs> I was cast yeah, yeah, in right. the third scene. Mm-hmm. And my Mary Alice sat on my mother's porch because it was filmed across the street from my mother's house. And so that's Mary Alice. She, that's, mm-hmm. she hung out with my mama, mm-hmm. you know, uh, before her scene. I and mean, that's where she hung out all day. The stories of the making of, um, a truly, what Craig said, it was a community. It was truly a community film. The relationships were made. The Devontae Sweet, who was from Compton, who lectured gangbangers on the corner, you know, about you all want to really know what it's like to be up in this life. <laughs> you know, um, having kind of weekly on J had a little partnership uh-huh. with them for the cast members to come on and say, this week on Laurel Avenue, this <laughs> was, I, I mean, on and Done. Um, It was really powerful. I spoke on a panel at the National Black Journalists Association about just how we did Laurel Avenue and how different, you know, it was, is what Craig said about her and his mom being able to t- kind of detect when, okay, that's why folks did that. I mean, the soul of the journey, when we had the screening here at the Fitzgerald Theater, it was packed with black folks because they felt a sense of ownership of that film. And um, so again, we've lived the answers that we see. Let's become that bundle and do that. So whoever's rolling up in here, doing anything up in here, right? We stand together and say, this is how it has to be done. Whether it's a film uh, about us or whatever. Because again, I tell them again, all of those jobs, all those names and those credits represent a job you can have. Now, the film about us, cool, or not about us. I want you to have those jobs. Indeed. Let's prepare them to have those jobs. And even though we're still struggling, we still have work to do, and we might see the cathedral be built. I also want to do some things to make sure we have some fun in the process too. Let's rescue each other.
0: Ache, ache thank you so much thank you very, very much and uh like i said we will, we'll have to have you guys back uh, on the podcast and get deeper into into conversations but thank you for taking the time
2: thanks for having us rob and i could talk on the phone we don't need to <laughs> <laughs> this is like to have it it means something like this is important
0: so thank you thank you That is our show for today. Thank you once again for listening to the Miniwood podcast with our special guests, Robin Hickman-Winfield and Craig Rice.
1: What a joy to have both of them. You can find out a little bit more about Robin on Instagram at Celebrate Soulful Dolls.
0: And you can find Craig at the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Film Festival.
1: And if you're looking for me, you can hop over to Instagram. I am at Shay Cage MPLS.
0: And I'm on the other side of the tracks at E.G. Bailey Artists.
1: We really appreciate your support. We encourage you to continue to support Minnesota filmmakers and the filmmaking community to help it grow.
0: For more information or inquiries, contact miniwoodpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Miniwood Podcast was created and produced by E.G. Bailey. E.G. Bailey is a fiscal year 2021 recipient of a Creative Support for Individuals grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board. This activity is made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Be well.